Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The night had descended upon the quiet town of Eden Falls, Minnesota, casting long shadows across the desolate streets. As I, Officer Jake Anderson, responded to the call that would change the course of my life, I could feel a shiver run down my spine, an ominous premonition of the horrors that awaited me. The crime scene was a gruesome tableau, the air thick with an unspoken malevolence. The first victim lay sprawled on the cold, unforgiving pavement. His lifeless eyes stared into the void, and a grotesque symbol carved meticulously on his chest whispered of unspeakable rituals. A pentagram drawn in blood surrounded his lifeless form like a macabre frame. The investigation began as a puzzle with pieces scattered in the shadows. I delved into the victim's life discovering he was a member of a secretive society that delved into the arcane and the occult. They were scholars of forbidden knowledge, keepers of an ancient book that held secrets that should have remained buried. The path twisted and turned as I followed the clues connecting the dots that led me to the other members of the society. 
Each interview revealed a piece of the puzzle, a dark mosaic that depicted a ritual gone awry. The members had sought to summon an entity of unimaginable power, but the tables had turned and the malevolent force had turned on them, leaving a trail of death in its wake. As the bodies piled up, it became clear that the cult leader, the mastermind behind the doomed ritual, was the sole survivor. Driven by sinister determination, he hunted down his former comrades, killing them one by one to complete the summoning and curry favor with the entity they had unleashed. It was a race against time, a deadly game of cat and mouse. With every step, I could feel the malevolence closing in, the veil between our world and the other side thinning. I tracked the cult leader to the final ritual site, a desolate and forgotten place with an air thick with dark energy. The scene that unfolded before me was a nightmare incarnate. The cult leader, draped in black robes, stood before a grotesque altar, a sacrificial victim bound and trembling in fear. The air hummed with an otherworldly presence as the cult leader chanted ancient incantations, his eyes ablaze with unholy fervor. I moved in, determined to stop the impending horror. But the cult leader was no ordinary adversary. Cunningly laid traps ensnared me, and I found myself wounded and weakened, struggling to keep pace with the impending catastrophe. The walls echoed with the agonized cries of the kidnapped soul, a desperate plea for salvation. Summoning every ounce of strength, I staggered forward, my gun drawn. The cult leader's twisted grin widened as he neared the culmination of his dark ritual. With a surge of adrenaline, I fired, the shot echoing through the desolate landscape. The cult leader crumpled to the ground, his grip on the ritual shattered. The air seemed to ripple with relief as the entity's hold waned, and the sacrificial victim, now freed from the clutches of impending doom, escaped the altar of despair. I stumbled backward, my gaze fixed on the surreal scene unfolding before me. With trembling hands, I radioed for backup, struggling to find words to describe the horrors I had witnessed. The town that had once been peaceful now bore witness to a darkness that lingered in the shadows. I couldn't fathom the true nature of the malevolent force we had faced, but I knew one thing for certain. Eden Falls would never be the same again. My boyfriend and I are currently remodeling our house, so we're living in the old garage that we've converted into a living space while the rest of the house is gutted. The door that leads to the rest of the house is right next to bed, and I always lock it every night because, yeah, I know, it's scary out there. Well, one night it was around two in the morning, and we had a knock on the door. We both heard it, and it woke us both up. This would mean someone was inside our house, essentially knocking on our bedroom door. However, when we finally got the courage to get up and look, all the doors and windows were locked, and there was no way anyone could gotten in or out. So I still don't know who or what knocked on our door. There is a sloped field behind my house with forest at the top and forest at the bottom. When I was little, one morning around 8 a.m., I saw a child sprint out of the forest and run down the hill as fast as he could. 
It struck me as odd because I don't have any close neighbors. He was wearing jeans and a red jacket, and the kid was probably around ten years old. I told my parents, and they didn't believe me, but I knew what I saw. A few years later, my dad came to me and told me he saw the same thing. A kid in jeans and a red jacket sprinting down the hill from the forest. I was with my parents at a small bar near my home, and there was a man that could not speak, but he used his hands to communicate with me. I remember talking to him, and then he gave me a flower. Although I could not hear him, I could clearly understand what he wanted to say. After a while, my parents said we're leaving, so I left the old man alone. In car, my mom said, didn't you get bored? No, I was talking with a person all the time. He could not speak, but I could understand him, and then my mom went. What person? I didn't see a person with you at all. My husband used to play hockey, and his games were usually late. He would come home around midnight. On one of those nights, my son and I were in bed when I heard my husband's truck pull in. He dropped his keys outside of the door. He came inside the house and slammed the door so hard the walls shook, so not like him. I looked out the window to make sure it really was him, and his truck wasn't there. I walked out of the bedroom, and I see my son standing in front of his door with a baseball bat. He whispered, It's not Dad. As we stood there frozen in fear, the TV came on full blast. I called 911 and was told that help was on its way. Finally, we see flashlights through the downstairs window and see two police officers walking the perimeter of the house. They knock on the door, and I let them in, and the first thing they ask is, Why is the TV on so loud? So I tell them the story, and they check every inch of the house. All the doors, deadbolts, and windows are locked, so they tell us there's no way this could happen. They start looking at us like we made it up. I called my husband to come home since the officers had to leave. My son begged them to stay. As soon as they left, the dining room chandelier started flickering and the lights turned off. We just sat there in fear until my husband got home. When we told my husband what happened, he immediately said, I guess if I turn the TV on, the volume would be all the way up. Yes. I turned the TV off instead of turning down the volume. I turned the TV on. The volume was almost all the way down. To this day, I have no idea what happened that night. But I know something was in our house. Before I begin, I think it would be both necessary and appropriate to give a bit of background information on myself. I am a 34-year-old woman who has been working in the wilderness since I was 18 and had spent my childhood growing up basically off the grid with my family in the middle of the woods. My father owned a logging company in Oregon, and my mother was a very outdoorsy woman who enjoyed the quiet and solitude of living thirty miles away from the closest town. Although I have plenty of stories of strange experiences from my childhood, I am going to share some of the things I have encountered more recently during my sixteen-year and counting career.
I have worked all over the United States with pretty much every branch of government that oversees federally owned lands, the National Park Service, United States Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, etc. Though most of my time has been spent in the western half of the United States, in all of the positions I've worked, I've spent a majority of my time outside in the wilderness, often either alone or with a small group of co-workers. For discretion purposes, I won't disclose my exact current job title, but my job duties basically include wilderness surveying, trail maintenance, wildlife management, and aiding in search and rescue. I consider myself a rational, level-headed person, and I don't scare easily. I've always been the type of person to figure out a scientific explanation for everything. However, sometimes, especially when you're out in the wilderness, there are things you see and experience that seem to defy all logical explanation. These are the stories I will be sharing with you. This first story comes from my first summer on the job with the National Park Service, NPs, when I turned 18. Now, some of you may know how insanely competitive it is to get a job with the NPS, but my resume was chock full with relevant experience I had gained while growing up, so I was one of the few lucky ones who got a job with them right out of high school. The job I landed was at a historic site in rural northern New Mexico that is important for its Native American heritage. It was an entry, level labor and maintenance job, and I was going to be doing a lot of grunt work, but I was excited as hell for the opportunity nonetheless. The beginning of the summer went by pretty uneventfully. I got to know all my co-workers, heard all the classic scare the rookie, stories they tell us newbies, especially ones new to the region as I was and learned everything there was to know about the local legends and cultures of past and present. As the summer went on, I was assigned more and more tasks due to the usual wear and tear that comes with the height of tourist season. The days were long and the desert sun is strong, so as the summer progressed and my boss began to trust me more, I would often wait until the sun was beginning to set to do my hardest tasks that would require the most time outside in the desert heat, and I would often work well into the night. But I liked it better that way. Aside from dodging the sun, it was nice to work outside when the park was quiet and void of tourists. Early afternoon, one day about mid-August, we had a few hikers come into the office to report that the previous night's monsoon had caused the creek to swell up and the rushing water had done some minor damage to one of the small bridges the park had built across the creek. Luckily, the hikers had taken pictures of the damage, so I didn't have to hike all the way out to the bridge to assess it which was about seven miles down the trail from the parking lot. My boss put me on the job and sent me into town to get the materials I would need to fix the bridge, and by the time I returned, it was already late afternoon. My boss gave me the go ahead to work into the evening instead of waiting until the next morning to begin, and since it was a beautiful, clear day, I decided to bring along my tent and camp out there overnight under the stars. By the time I had hiked all the way out to the bridge, the sun was setting. Even though it was a seven-mile hike, it was all relatively flat, so it went by quickly. The spot where the bridge was at was about three-four of a mile into where the trail enters the base, some breathtaking canyons. 
I chose a spot that was slightly elevated from the creek to set up my tent, just in case it was to swell again from some unexpected rains overnight, even though the sky was still crystal clear. Once my tent was set up, I made a small fire and decided to cook dinner before getting started on the bridge. While I cooked and ate, the last bit of sunlight dipped below the horizon, and the canyon lit up from the glow of my fire. It was a beautiful night, and the moon was almost full, so there was plenty of light for me to work by. As I began working on the bridge, I noticed how beautifully the light from the campfire behind me was dancing and making shapes on the canyon walls across the creek, and I laughed briefly at how distorted my silhouette was being projected onto the walls. I started hammering away, and for a while, everything was going normally. However, after about 20 minutes, I got an uneasy feeling, like I was being watched. I stopped for a minute and stood up and looked around, but I knew I was completely alone in that portion of the canyon, so I shook off the uneasiness and kept working. To get my mind off it, I began to hum a little tune that I was pretty much just making up as I went along, and before I knew it, the hammering and humming had replaced any fearful thoughts in my mind. Thirty or so minutes later, the feeling like I was being watched returned, although this time it was much stronger. I was due for break anyway, so I decided to stop working for a bit and return to my campsite to make myself some hot tea. As soon as I stopped hammering, I noticed the canyon fell silent. And I mean completely silent. There was no sound of bugs, no wind, no anything. The only thing I could hear was the crackling of my campfire and the sound of my own breath and heartbeat. I stood up, and right as I was about to turn to walk back to my campsite, I looked at the canyon wall across the creek in front of me, and I noticed the silhouette of a second figure being projected next to mine. I immediately swung around and looked behind me to see who was there, but saw nothing. I turned back around, and this time saw only my silhouetted figure again, and breathed a sigh of relief. I figured it must be my mind playing tricks on me. As I walked back to my tent, I noticed that the usual night noises had returned, and I breathed a sigh of relief. It's all in your head, Kate. I assured myself. When I got back to my tent, I decided that I would just finish up working in the morning, and I climbed into my sleeping bag and zipped up the tent to keep out any bugs. The fire was getting low, and I figured I would just leave it burning overnight so it would be easier to put out in the morning. I fell asleep almost immediately, as I usually do most nights. A few hours later, I woke up suddenly, which was unusual. Since I am usually a very heavy sleeper, I opened my eyes, and the first thing I noticed was that once again everything was completely silent. Except for one thing. I heard a faint humming coming from close by outside my tent. It was a tune that I had been humming to myself earlier as I worked. I turned my head to look towards the side of my tent where the humming was coming from, and through my tent I could see the silhouette of a person sitting by the fire. I immediately froze with fear and couldn't turn away. I watched the silhouette for a second, and suddenly I saw the head turn towards my tent and look my direction. As the figure turned, the humming got intensely loud, and it sounded like the humming was coming from inside my own head, and suddenly the entire campfire went completely out. At that moment, my fight, or flight response, kicked in, coupled with adrenaline from the fear, and I stood up 
threw my tent from the ground up over my head and bolted. I don't think I had ever run that fast in my entire life, and I did not turn around even once to look behind me. I could hear the humming following right behind me until I reached the edge of the canyon where the trail broke out into the open, and as soon as I exited the canyon, the humming stopped. I didn't stop running until I reached the parking lot at the trailhead, and luckily my car keys were in the pocket of the jacket I was wearing. I got in my car, drove off, and left a message for my boss that someone else would have to finish the project the next day. I made my co-worker bring my tent back for me, and when I got it back, it had been slashed up like someone had taken a knife to it. He asked me what happened, but I couldn't bring myself to tell him the truth, so I just said it must have been an animal. Needless to say, I never returned to that canyon, and I passed up all future projects that involved that area of the park. That's all for this story, but I'll try to update every few days with another one when I am in town and have Wi-Fi again. Part 2. The second story I'm going to share with you happened in the wintertime when I was 20. One years old, I was working as a ranger with the USFS United States Forest Service, out in Arkansas. Wintertime was generally pretty slow, but it was hunting season in that area, so I spent most of my days indoors issuing permits and answering questions and such. Occasionally, we would get a complaint about hunters, so I would venture out to see as any laws were being broken and give my lecture about hunting etiquette, maybe even get to give out a ticket if I cared that particular day. But most days were routine, slow, boring, and uneventful. Around mid-season, we started getting weird reports coming in about once or twice a week from hunters about finding deer carcasses that just looked, well, unnatural to say the least. Most of the reports weren't very detailed or thorough, but they all consistently included the fact that there was no blood around the carcasses and no visible wounds. Yet it was obviously a predatory kill, one group of hunters went up to one of the carcasses they found and described it as being skin and bone, as if everything inside it had been sucked clean out. The reports all included one other detail, too. In each case, the hunters had heard what sounded like a male deer vocalizing mating calls, and had followed the calls in hopes of landing a buck for their hunting trophy case. The other rangers and I took note of all these details, and after the fifth report or so, we went out one day and canvassed the area the reports were coming from, attempting to find evidence to corroborate the reports we were getting, but we came up short. Although these reports were certainly weird, we didn't see it as a potential threat to anyone's safety, so we didn't see any reason to prioritize finding the culprit killing off these deer. However, about a month after the odd deer carcass report started coming in, we got an emergency call that two hunters had been reported missing. A father and son had left their home the day before to go on an afternoon of hunting and family bonding and had failed to return that evening. My co-workers and I all immediately geared up, paired up in twos, and set out in search of the missing persons. Each of our pairs was assigned a section of the forest to search and my partner and I happened to be assigned the area where the deer carcass reports had been. We drove around to every known parking area to attempt to locate the missing father's vehicle, and at the third spot we checked, we found it. We searched the vehicle and found a map circling an area that wasn't too far away, 
and we assumed that was the area the father and son were going to be hunting in. We radioed our co-workers to let them know what we found, and then we set off into the woods to continue our search. We found some tracks that looked like they could belong to the missing pair, so we began to follow those. The trail of footprints lead us for about a mile and a half, where suddenly they gave way to drag marks. With our alert senses heightened, my partner and I followed the drag marks until we reached a large rock formation with a cave. About ten feet in from the entrance to the cave, we saw their bodies. Before entering, we shone our flashlights into the cave to see if the predator was home. And although we didn't see the predator, what we saw was even worse. Carcasses. Tons of carcasses piled on top of each other. Mostly deer, some smaller animals. Luckily, no other humans, from what we could see at least. We entered the cave to retrieve the two hunters' bodies, and when we got close, we noticed that their bodies looked just like the ones we had been getting reports of, skin and bone, no visible wounds, but completely void of all blood, muscle, tissue, anything. It was like someone had deflated them or vacuumed them out or something. We radioed the rest of our team with our GPS coordinates and to let them know we had located the bodies, and we were instructed to wait there with them until the rest of the team arrived so everything could be properly documented. My partner and I walked back out of the entrance of the cave and decided to sit on a nearby fallen tree to wait for the rest of our team. We talked for a few minutes about what could have done this to the hunters, but neither of us could come up with any ideas. Suddenly, we heard a large branch behind us snap. We turned around, and what we saw, I still don't know to this day what it truly was. About twenty yards from us was this thing. It was a black bear, a big black bear. But something was just off about it. It was more like a large creature had taken a black bear's skin and head, and was wearing it like a slightly ill-fitting full-body costume. The way it moved and walked wasn't right. It was almost like it didn't know how to properly use its limbs. And then I noticed the eyes. I don't know what those eyes belonged to, but they certainly were not bare eyes. They were large and white with colored irises like human eyes, but much bigger. We both sat there in shock for a moment before my partner reached to his side to draw his gun. Just as he did this, the creature stood up on its back legs, tilted. Its head so far, I thought it would have broken its neck, opened its mouth, and let out a call. This, however, was not a bear call. It was a male deer mating call. Right then, my partner snapped to action and fired off his gun at the creature. The creature turned away from us and took off on its back two legs, awkwardly lumbering off deeper into the woods. My partner fired two more shots in that direction. I think more is a reaction than an actual attempt to hit it. As soon as it was out of sight, we both sat there in silence for a few minutes. My partner's hands were shaking, and I was too frozen with fear to move. Five or so minutes later, we heard the rest of our team arriving down the trail. They asked about the gunshots, and my partner quickly answered that it was just a bear, and then looked at me, silently agreeing with me that we would keep what we saw to ourselves. Although it was odd to everyone that a black bear would be out wandering the woods when it should be hibernating, it wasn't completely unheard of for a bear to be awoken and go out on an aggressive rampage. So 
That's what we put in the official report. A couple days after the incident, my partner quit his job, packed up his house, and moved back to where his parents lived in the suburbs. I spent the rest of my time in Arkansas trying to put the incident out of my mind. I never saw the creature again, but every so often, when out on patrol, I would hear a male deer mating call, and I couldn't help but wonder if it was truly a deer this time, or the creature I saw in the woods that day trying to lure in its next victims. That's a wrap for this one. I have to head out to the woods for work in the morning, but I'll try to get down. Into town in a couple days to update again. I am from Waterville, Maine. Back in the late summer or early fall of 1970, one, I was newly married and living in Killeen, Texas, with my husband, who was in the Army. We had a small duplex apartment in Killeen. One night he had duty and I was home alone in bed around 3 a.m. in the morning. I woke up suddenly and saw a black figure standing at the bottom of my bed. It was eight or nine feet tall and had huge big black wings and red eyes. I closed my eyes and opened them again and it had moved closer to me on the right side of my bed. I couldn't scream. It was as if I was frozen in fear. I covered my head in the blankets. I was so afraid. About five minutes later, I looked, and it was gone. It gave me a horrible feeling, and I prayed never to see it again. Shortly after this event, I came back to Maine, as I was way too frightened to ever stay alone at night when he had duty. I told my mom I had seen a huge black angel that night, and she was glad I came home, as that didn't sound good. I had never heard of the Mothman, but a few years later I came across an article and a drawing of one. Even before I read the article, I said, wow, that is exactly what I saw in Texas. It didn't have a noticeable neck, and its face was like hooded, its wings tucked in on its side, but you could tell they were very large. It was totally black, except for the eyes were round, large, and red. Long, I still think of this thing with fear. Personally, do you have any idea what it is? I'm in my 70s now, and I'm still searching for an answer. When I was around eight years old, my family was in Pensacola, Florida, visiting. We always went to parks, and along the beach there was a federal park that also once had been used by either the Coast Guard or Navy for spotting U-boats in World War II. Periodically, as we were driving through the park, we saw these bunkers in the sand dunes. Some of them had large. You could drive a truck in them, sealed off entrances. We eventually ran across one where the entrance was not sealed off, and we stopped to explore. As you stood at the entrance, you could hear other voices and sounds, so clearly there was some tunnel connectivity between all of them. My older sister and I walked down the pitch-black tunnel to explore it. It will, my parents finished getting my younger, I have babies, siblings out. We stopped oddly, and then my sister turned to go back. This was the first strange thing, why we stopped exactly where we did. You see, my sister walked back, but I decided to go forward deeper, and literally my next step, I fell down a big vertical shaft. Strange, too, was that I suddenly caught on something because the shaft went much deeper. I could hear voices way deeper coming from down the shaft. 
There was no bottom under me, nor was there anything sticking out, but I was caught. My sister yelled, and my dad ran down the tunnel to the shaft, where it was now apparent a thin piece of sheet metal had been placed over it that I had collapsed. He could not see me, but I could see him. He was literally freaking out, calling for me when I called back. He laid flat and tried to reach down to get me. I reached up and could not reach him. He told my mom to hold his legs as he leaned deeper into the shaft, but still no bano. He told me to try to stand higher and reach him. I told him there was nothing under me but air. I reached as hard up as I could, and my dad reached as far down, but it was like over a foot or more between our hands. Really strange thing, as we did so, I felt something envelop me. Very strangely around my body, but very carefully and comfortably, and it just pushed me up. It pushed me up to where I could grab my father's hand. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Now, many of you may question the last, but that is the best way to describe what I experienced. To further that, I could not have stood anyway because my leg was broken. More on that in a sec. And furthermore, as they were putting me in the car, I heard my dad nearly break out in tears telling my mom that he thought I was going to be lost because as best he could tell, there was nothing holding me and his hand was too far away for him to have reached me. He told her he had no idea how I reached his hand. Strange four. Later at the ER, when the doctor went to examine my leg, he pulled off my jeans to discover a perfectly round, about three-fourths circular stab wound into my leg. At first, the doctor thought the broken bone must have created it, 
because there was no hole in my pants, no scratches up my leg, like something had gone up my pants leg and poked me. Later, the doctor was completely perplexed because the bone was totally stable, and at the first x-ray reading it was only a hairline fracture they missed, so it could not have poked through my leg. Needless to say, all of it freaked everyone out. I still have the puncture wound scar, one of the few my body has kept as I heal very well and rarely scar. Later, the park ranger told my parents that those vertical shafts on average are well over 50 plus feet deep, some closer to 100 and were ventilation. They were smooth walled with no ladders or anything. He did not know how I would not fall into the bottom. Me and my cousin were out hunting near Johnson City, Tennessee, and were sitting on the side of the wall of a rather large hollow, which consisted of very thick underbrush and lots of evergreen. A larger valley then leads first to a clearing and then on to a supposed old Indian graveyard. All of a sudden, we heard the brush in the hollow below rattling and could tell that whatever was making the sounds was rather large. I was armed with a Ruger 10, 22 rifle with approximately 150 rounds of ammo ready to go. Under my night vision scope, I could see what appeared to be a man, but upon further inspection, I realized that the man was a creature about seven, eight feet tall, approximately 450 pounds. It was covered with thick black fur and was slimmer than the popular Bigfoot image, almost skinny with a neck. Also protruding on either side of its head were long tapered horns, also black in color. On the top of the head also protruded a horn pointing straight up. All horns were approximately five, six inches in length and were the same dark color as the creature. I was terrified. I emptied a twenty-five round clip into the creature and then we retreated into a nearby cabin about sixty-five feet away. The next morning we could not find anything except for lots of spent shell casings and bullet holes on a walnut tree. I thought I had struck the creature several times. Nearby animal traps had been sprung and all the bait extracted. On a nearby ridge we located a series of tunnels made up of brush and various sizes of tree limbs, vines, and leaves. We thought it could have been the lair of the beast. Well, we weren't going to stick around and find out. We quickly returned home and never went into that area again. I don't know what we encountered that day, but I don't believe that it was of this earth. About three years ago, my girlfriend at the time, my best friend and his girlfriend, and my girlfriend's best friend and her boyfriend all decided to go camping at a state park. I had been there a couple of times before and had no encounters, not even heard anything. At the time, I had had about five encounters with a dogman on five different occasions, so I was aware of these creatures and knew what they could do. Yeah, I was still stupid enough to go camping. We were staying there for three nights. The first night was actually really nice. I was super nervous because I thought I was going to see one, but I saw nothing that night. We stayed up until about one, thirty or two in the morning, laughing, drinking, and just enjoying each other's company, and then we went to bed. 
The next day, we went on a hike, and I saw some footprints that were a little odd, but nothing out of the ordinary, and some claw marks on trees. I figured that was probably a bear. That night, my girlfriend woke me up and told me she had to go to the restroom and asked if I would go with her. The bathhouse was about a two- or three-minute walk away from our campsite, and it was in the middle of the night. She wasn't comfortable going alone, so we went to the bathhouse. That's when things started. On the way back, I noticed how quiet the woods were, and I knew that feeling. So, I told my girlfriend to go ahead of me and wake the others. We were going to have to go. I wasn't comfortable staying here anymore, and the entire time, I couldn't shake the feeling I was being watched. The first part of the encounter didn't happen for another 20 minutes. While we were packing up, I heard some branches breaking about 10 feet from camp. I never saw anything, but I could hear it sniffing around, grunting and growling just outside of the light from the fire that we had lit. I told my friends that this is why I wanted to go. So we hurried up and finished packing, getting everything in the car, and we took off down the mountain. As we were nearing the entrance to the park, one of these creatures sprinted out from the underbrush beside the road and hit the side of my truck. Naturally, I slammed on the brakes and reached for my rifle, hoping to fire a warning shot and scare it off. I didn't see it anymore, so I got out of the car to check the damage. I knew it was stupid, and I knew it was dumb when I did it. It wasn't there waiting to pounce on me and kill me. There was only a slight dent in the car, so we got back in and began to drive again. That's when the third one hit us from the other side of the car. Another one of them came rammed into us. At this point, the other dogman that was chasing us came out from the woods and hit us on the other side of the car. So now we had one on both sides. I put the car in park so I didn't get in a wreck. These creatures kept slamming into the side of the car for about two or three minutes. They broke my back window and reached in and tried to grab my girlfriend, but they didn't get her. For whatever reason, after about three or four minutes, they just left. The reason this one is so scary to me is that this is the closest one has ever gotten to me and the closest one has ever gotten to hurting me or any of my friends. My girlfriend never believed me about these creatures until that night. I know it sounds crazy, but that's my story and I'll stick to it. I'm from Brazil, and I've seen a lot of things in this short 21 years of my life. But one time, I was doing a trail with a friend. We started very late, like 22 p.m., and finished there in one uh, mere residential area with an old church and cow pastures. My friend needed to deliver to a woman he knew some pots and pans that she had borrowed so we could make food and sweets for the Feast of Saluau. A Catholic holiday on the way back home, we needed to walk a long dirt road, which was separated from the pastures by a fence and trees back to back. Start to end of the road, we carried flashlights, but the night was very bright. Due to the reed being very wide and open, midway through the long road, we started to hear some rumbling on the fence side behind the trees. I said that probably was a dog, and my friend believed. The sound become little by little closer the further we walked, and my friend stated that was a very big dog. 
We kept walking until the noise was right behind our necks. With that ominous presence, I took a piece of wood that we carried in case we were attacked by dogs and etc. on the trails, and asked my friend to shine the flashlight on the fence, and that was when I see it. A big skinny figure standing up in his two hind legs. His arms were so long they touched the ground like a gorilla leaning back and hiding his true height, looking me in the eyes with his crooked spine. It looked like a terminal anorexic bull with a deformed face without horns but with neck hair, like a fake mane and moonlight gray skin and shine eyes. This one second looked like an eternity. Suddenly the light went out, and when I looked, my friend was running and shouting to me, Do the same. I ran like I never needed to run before, with that thing running beside me. In the other side, of the trees, when we reached the end of the road, we were graced by the statue of Our Lady Fatima standing still in his shrine. And the thing had vanished in the fields. I asked him if he had seen it, and he said no and that he ran in fear for so long I thought it was a werewolf, but it was so different from anything I have ever heard of, and I truly don't know that was but still visits me in my dreams lurking in the corners of my eye. After a stressful day at work, I had gone over to my friend's apartment to shoot the breeze, eat some food, and play a few games on my friend's four. It was getting late, and I had to be up fairly early the next day. My friend walked me out to the parking lot to my car. There was no one else in the parking lot, just us two. As I was unlocking my car, a dog walked out from the side of a nearby building about 25 feet away. It came fully into view and stopped to look at us. It was a little bigger than a standard Great Dane. It was all black with long hair that appeared to be falling out in clumps. It had long ears and a long, scraggly tail. I remember making eye contact with it. It had dark maroon-colored eyes, and in the moment we locked eyes, it smiled at us. But instead of a dog's lips going up and back, the lips went slightly sideways, and I saw white human teeth. I recall suddenly getting a feeling of dread and fear. I felt like it was something disguised as a dog and pretending to be a dog. But it wasn't a dog. I'm certain of it. The energy coming off of this thing didn't feel dog-like. I don't know how else to describe it, but my hair went up on end. It turned around from us and began limping slowly back around the corner from where it had stepped out from. It seemed to have most of its weight on its front legs, walking with a hunched back. When it was limping away, I noticed its rear left foot was wrapped in blue gauze, and the foot looked very odd. The heel was actually parallel to the ground. I'm unsure if my friend saw exactly what I saw, but she suddenly said, It's leaving. Let's follow it. And she ran after the damn thing right after it disappeared around the corner. I remember being scared for my friend, so I went sprinting after her. I rounded the corner to find my friend looking around confused. The dog thing was gone. At the rate that it was walking and limping and given the close proximity to us, which again was no more than 25 feet, there was no way that it could have disappeared that quickly. The air was suddenly extremely cold, even for South Texas January. My teeth were chattering, and I told my friend to quickly go back to her apartment, 
lock the door and stay inside. I warned her that that thing was not a dog and told her I'd text her when I got home. Once safe at home, I texted my friend and thought that was going to be the end of it. But even as I settled into bed, my heart was racing. It didn't help that around 12 a.m., there was low whistling right outside my window. My neighbor's house isn't too far from mine, but they're good people, and there is no logical reason for them to be that close to my window at night whistling. I didn't make any indication that I was aware of the whistling. It wasn't even musical, just the sort of whistle someone is giving if they're trying to get attention. Eventually, the whistling stopped, and I heard nothing else. I had trouble sleeping. I haven't seen anything or experienced anything like it since. My big question is, what was that thing? So my fiancé and I took a quick trip to New Orleans, and I packed it full of fun adventures for us. I am also pregnant. We went on a ghost tour where we got to go inside the buildings that were supposed to be haunted. The first place was a hotel. We went in the back area in a little courtyard area outside, and our guide was just starting to explain equipment that is used on ghost hunts. I felt strange immediately. I felt weighed down like I couldn't move my arms or legs. I was getting some waves of nausea as well. I was also getting a panic feeling like I wanted to run but didn't. Then a weird euphoric feeling came over me and I was able to calm down, but I felt drugged, like I'd just smoked a bunch of pot. Then the guide mentioned people sometimes feeling sick in the room we were going to go into. That's when I told him that I already felt weird just being in the outside courtyard area. I asked my fiancé if he felt different or weird, and he said no. So I think out of our group, I was the only one. He seemed weirdly excited and was like, just wait till you get in the room. At that point, I had that euphoric feeling, and the room didn't bother me. They used a camera thing to map the spirits around. I have never felt that feeling before and was wondering if anyone had a similar experience. I heard somewhere that the weighted feeling was spurt, invading personal energy space. I don't know anything about this. I do sometimes sense spirits and can sometimes tell if male or female. If a relative to me, I know who by taste in my mouth. I know it's strange, but there you have it. I don't communicate with the dead, and they don't talk to me. They don't give me pictures or images or whatever. I'm no medium. Any experiences or knowledge would be appreciated. Thank you. It all starts on a winter night in Juneau, Alaska. About six years back, while I was a senior in high school, a few friends of mine were over at my house a neighborhood on the side of a mountain surrounded by a forest. We were bored with our video games and TV, so we all decided to walk a trail in the woods. This is about 3 a.m., and we weren't worried about running into bears because it was their hibernation time. So we gear up for the zero-degree weather and leave for a trail up the mountain that I had played at as a kid running through the woods and building forts. So, of course, growing up in it, knowing it was like my own home, I wasn't too worried. We had crossed a bridge onto the trail and walked about a half mile when my friend stopped and 
said he heard something up ahead. I say that it's most likely a deer or something, having seen much of Alaska's wildlife in these woods. So we keep walking, and by this point he's a little nervous glancing around a lot. My third friend started to say it was probably the Kushtaka, a local legend of a creature that shape shifts into something that lures you to your death. He freaks out even more, and I tell him I've spent half my life in these woods and haven't seen one thing that was remotely strange. About five minutes later, we heard snow crunch under a huge pine tree about ten yards in front of us. We stopped dead in our tracks, looking up the path towards the tree. I shine the flashlight in that direction, and we catch a flash of something moving behind the tree, almost like a bike reflector or something. We start walking slowly away from the tree, back down the trail, not looking away from the tree. Then we see a hand from behind the tree touch the ground, and I stop dead, frozen with fear, not looking away with my flashlight directly on it. It took a few seconds for my friends to realize what I was looking at. Then they saw it, too. My friend, who had been scared this whole time, went nuts and started putting together words that made no sense. Whatever was behind the trees leaned out to look at us. Its eyes reflected like a dog's from the beam of my flashlight, making its face blurry from the glare. Instantly we all run, not daring to stop. No movement was heard until we reached the bridge when one of my friends fell on the ice. That's when I heard it bounding up the path towards us. I shine my light, and there it is running towards us, on all fours half screaming, half howling. It looked almost like a human, but seemed to be a lot taller and skinnier, very pale in the moonlight and against the snow. It was completely naked. So I ran and jumped off the low bridge onto the frozen creek and yelled for them to follow me. We run down the side of the creek towards my neighborhood. I have never run so fast and so far, but I kept on for fear of what I saw. During the entire run, I could hear whatever it was running through the woods directly to the right of us, all the way until we got to the streetlight by a children's park. To this day, my friend and I still bring up crazy theories of what we had seen. My other friend, the one who had been so terrified, had never brought it up again. I grew up in a small village in the countryside of northwest England. My mother and father split when I was around three years old. I stayed with my mom, but she was largely absent for most of my youth, and I was basically raised by my granddad, whom I lived with until he passed away. I had two best friends. The world was a safe place back then, and on weekends and during holidays, my two friends and I would play outside in the woods from early morning until after sunset. It was during the school summer holidays of 1987 that this incident took place. I was eight years old at the time, and what I'm about to tell you is unbelievable and makes no sense to me, even now. But I think the time has come to share it. On the morning that this happened, I went around to call for my two friends to see if they wanted to come out and play. There's an area of woodland at the top of the village where a huge old oak tree had been struck by lightning and partially fallen down. My friends and I had claimed this area as our own little playground as the half of the tree that had fallen was really good for climbing and making tree houses and dens. 
We had christened it the base due to it being the place where we started the majority of our childhood adventures. It turned out that one of my friends wasn't feeling well, so he wasn't allowed to play, and the other had gone shopping with his mom. So that day I headed out to the base alone to get to the fallen tree. I had to walk through a large field which was periodically maintained, but at the time the grass hadn't been cut and was around three feet high. The fallen tree was part of a larger cluster of trees along the bottom edge of this field, and the lighter wood where the tree had split apart was visible through the overhanging branches of the surrounding trees from about halfway across the field. As I got to the middle of the field, I looked towards the base to see if I could see any other kids there, and I realized that I couldn't see the light of wood of the fallen tree. But in its place, all I could see was brown. My eight-year-old mind couldn't process this, and the best I could come up with was that the tree had somehow grown its bark back since I was last there just a few days before. I was intrigued. I took a few steps forward when an overwhelming sense of fear came over me and stopped me in my tracks. At this point, I couldn't see anything, but somehow I knew that something was very wrong and that something was near to the base. As I stared towards the base, I realized that there was something brown obscuring my view of the fallen tree, and then it had started to move. The thing that was standing there had its back to me, and the second I realized this, it slowly turned to face me. It was at that point that I knew I was in trouble. I realized that the brown I could see was hair, not fur, but hair about four inches long, and it was exactly the same color as the tree bark. I couldn't tell if the hair was different colors or uniformly brown with dead leaves and branches and such in it, but from a distance it would have been invisible to anyone looking. I couldn't move my limbs, which felt like lead, and I could feel my heart beating in my ears. Every fiber of my being was telling me to run, but I was so scared. I was rooted to that spot. The thing squatted down similar to how a sumo wrestler does before a fight. I couldn't see its head or face, as it was obscured by the overhanging branches, but I got a clear view of its chest, stomach, and arms. The hair on its chest and stomach was slightly shorter than the hair on its back and arms and a bit lighter in color. It was huge, easily four feet across the shoulders, and at least eight feet tall in its squatting position. Keep in mind that as an eight-year-old, I had never seen or heard of anything like this before. To me, this thing was a monster, plain and simple. Its shoulders and biceps were absolutely massive, and my only point of reference was that this thing was like the Incredible Hulk, but with hair. I was about 30 feet or so from it, and I was so scared that I didn't even realize I had started to cry. If this wasn't unbelievable enough, it brought its hands together in front of its chest, making a circle shape with its thumbs and fingers. In the middle of the circle appeared a ball of pure white light which I now know to be an orb, but at that time I likened it to a floating crystal ball. The being stood up and dropped its arms down. As it did so, its hands were close to being level with its knees, and the orb stayed in the same position where it had appeared and rose with the creature. When it stood, there was no sound. As this happened, there were no birds singing, no grasshoppers chirping, and even though I could feel the breeze and see the grass and the leaves, 
On the branches moving, there was just deafening silence. I don't know how long this all took, but I realized I'd been holding my breath as all this happened. I exhaled hard, and as I did so, a crystal, clear thought flashed through my mind. If you don't run now, you'll never see home again. I don't know how to explain where this thought came from, but I know for a fact it wasn't mine. At that moment, I felt a familiar nuzzling in my armpit and realized that Hobo, my granddad's Irish wolfhound, was behind me. I don't know how it got out, but I didn't realize he had followed me. He put his head beside my left shoulder and began growling and snarling, and this somehow snapped me out of the trance I was in. I turned and sprinted as fast as I could back through the field. Hobo ran beside me all the way home. When I got back home, it took my granddad about an hour or so to calm me down, and I explained to him what had happened. He responded by giving me the worst beating he had ever given me in my life and sending me to my room. He then left the house, telling me not to move. He didn't return for about half an hour. When he did return, he came into my room and he sat on my bed. He hugged me and comforted me while I began to cry again. I was scared and confused. He told me that I had seen the wood woes and that I had to stay indoors for the rest of the summer, that I was forbidden from ever playing at that base again. Needless to say, I never went back there. Before this happened, I was a happy, outgoing kid, but this experience made me withdrawn and timid. I asked my granddad what the wood woes was, and he told me that it was the tall, hairy man who guards the woods. He said that he scares grown-ups away and sometimes takes kids to a place in the woods where they're never, ever seen again. At the time, I had no reason to doubt my granddad. He had raised me and was the only father figure I had when growing up. I think he beat me because he was scared and angry at what had happened to me and took these feelings out on me. I never thought any less of him for that. I didn't even hear the term Bigfoot until years later in high school when I found a book on unexplained mysteries and cryptids. I have since learned the stories of the wood woes go back to the 15th century, and it is referred to as the hairy man, the wild man of the woods, the fawn, and sometimes the green man. I don't know if it is a Bigfoot type being or if it's related to these adjectives, but I know for a fact that there are things on this planet and in the woods and dark places that are beyond most people's understanding. I believe that my granddad also had some kind of encounter with one of those beings, although he never admitted it until the day he died. Anyway, that's my experience. I am 40. One years old and still researching and looking for answers, I still believe that if it wasn't for my granddad's dog, the thing would have taken me. I still live in the Cheshire County countryside in northwest England, and the woods around where I live now are the playground of my kids on their friends. I don't want them to be scared of the woods, but I do encourage them to be sensible. It was the winter of 2013. I was 19 years old. I was driving out in the country, and my friend Megan and I were taking my friend Tiffany home after the movies. Tiffany lived in the middle of nowhere up in the hills about 30 miles outside Waverly, Ohio. We dropped Tiffany off at her house at 11 p.m. 
We knew it was exactly 11 because Tiffany had an 11 o'clock curfew and we got her home just in time. We drove up the hill to Tiffany's house. She got out and we turned around and drove off back down the hill to the road. This was a small back road. The drive back to the main road took about 15 minutes and involved about four different turns. Looking back, Megan and I both remember driving for about a mile and making that first turn. Then suddenly I'm looking out the windshield and I see we are no longer on the same back road. We're back on the main road, almost to the highway, 20 miles from where we were just seconds ago. I looked over at Megan in the passenger seat. She looked like she was almost in a trance. I asked her, Megan, how did we get here? We're almost to the highway. She looked at me, tears in her eyes, and asked what just happened. It was then that I looked down at the clock, and it was twelve. Thirty. In the blink of an eye, nearly an hour and a half had passed, and we had somehow traveled twenty miles. We drove the rest of the way home in silence, totally in shock at what had happened. Days later, an image started popping in my mind. We are sitting in the car. It stopped in the middle of the road. We are both frozen, staring at the headlights and the road in front of us. I also have a vague recollection of something in the trees off the side of the road. Megan had similar memories. It's been ten years, and I still refuse to go back to that area.